welcome to Shine KC. I'm your host, Tina Johnson, published author, small business entrepreneur, and domestic violence survivor. Have you ever had that one friend that tells you everything they ever did in detail? And on the contrary, one that sugarcoats, elaborates, and isn't 100% honest about what's really going on? The latter was me for years, suburban America, with not a care in the world, right? Way wrong, way wrong. Here's an example of what I'm talking about. One of my worst fears was my abuser making my faults public as a way of keeping me silent. Not that I had much to hide, but the few times I tried to verbally defend myself, he used against me. I just knew it would be a smear campaign or or some kind of vilification. Well, this is a tactic that a narcissist abuser will use during and after a relationship. Any reaction from you, and they say you are the abuser. You're harming them. You're harassing them. The speaking up and self-defense rules do not apply. There's a term used to describe what the victim does, and I don't like what the term insinuates one bit. The term reactive abuse. One of the most common tactics abusers use is to shift the blame from the abuse onto the victim. The abuser will claim the victim is the abuser because of the reaction the victim has. Not that the victim was acting normally in an abnormal situation, which is what is really going on. The abuser may even attempt to convince the victim that there is nothing worth reacting over, that the victim is overreacting to the abuse. What the victim is actually experiencing is called reactive abuse. I want to give you the definition of the term. Reactive abuse occurs when the victim reacts to the abuse they are experiencing. The victim may scream, toss out insults, or even lash out physically at the abuser in self-defense. The abuser then retaliates by telling the victim that they are, in fact, the abuser. Why abusers rely on this reactive abuse? Because it's their proof that the victim is unstable and mentally ill. The abuser will hold these reactions against the victim constantly and indefinitely. It could be years later and the abuser will say, well, back in 19 dickity do, you had this reaction and acted all crazy. You're the crazy one, you need help. Sometimes abusers use this reaction as an excuse to go to the police. So how do you know in the domestic violence situation who is the abuser and who is the victim? This can be tricky because narcissists are shifty and crafty like a snake. Watch for signs. Attitudes of self-blame. Over-apologizing Desperate efforts to do anything to help the relationship are common for victims to display. 
These actions can be another traumatic response called appeasing or accommodation. But when you can get the victim to think back to the very beginning of the story to describe what was happening before they lashed out to their partner, you'll begin to see the behaviors that trigger their actions. What is most important is not making any assumptions without listening more and getting a clearer picture of the events that preceded the reactive abuse. In time, the role each person is playing will become crystal clear. To a first responder of abuse, that may be incomprehensible. It may cause the responder to blame the victim, question the victim, or even go as far as not to help the victim. When a victim reacts in a manner that appears equally or even more abusive, a first responder may be tempted to think they are both abusing each other. A responder needs to remember that there's a cycle of power and control happening that is doing a number on the victim, no matter how it looks. A first responder's role is critically important. Understanding the complexity, who is the victim and who is the abuser will help you avoid causing further harm through your responses. The first interaction a victim has with a responder can empower them to set firm boundaries or leave that abusive relationship, or it can make matters worse. When a trusted individual responds poorly or perhaps with good intentions, but incorrectly, they cause additional harm and risk, exasperating the victim's trauma. Sadly, many victims have interactions with first responders that lead them to not trust someone to help them, or worse, be afraid a responder will cause further harm. In reality, these are the people whose job is to protect them. First responders are often the first call for help and maybe the last, depending on how the interaction goes. I heard a quote from a domestic violence victim recently. They told the first responder, if you send me back in there and leave, I'm dead. The first responders took the abuser into custody, but that's not always the case. Psychological manipulators rarely, if ever, take responsibility for their actions to their victims. To do so would damage their credibility and cause doubt in the abusive relationship. Most manipulators will adopt a self-righteous attitude with their victims, often centered on how they have been wronged by the person in some way. And they will typically excuse their behaviors as retribution for how they have been treated. The abuser's golden rule, it's simple. If you don't give me what I want, I'm entitled to treat you the way I choose. You know, healthy relationships are based on a give and take. When hurt occurs, both sides examine how they contributed and they take accountability for those actions. In an abusive relationship, the victim is forced into a position of being the cause 
for all that is wrong. Blame is projected onto the person for every problem in the relationship. In contrast, there's a story in the Bible about a man named Joseph. Now Joseph, let me tell you about some workplace abuse happening right here in this Bible. Let's read. Genesis 39, I'm going to start with verse 6, and we're just going to chat about it. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he didn't concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was a well-built, handsome man, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted in my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph, Day after day, he refused to go to bed with her. Folks, she is trying to seduce this man every single day. It's constant. And he continually refused. One day, he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hands, and he ran out of the house. It doesn't matter how many times you're asked. No means no. Not convince me. It doesn't matter if you're a male or a female. No still means no. He reacted to the continual abuse and fled. Let's find out what happens. So when she saw that he had fled and left his cloak in her hand and had to run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. Okay, let's look at some points here. No one was in the house, so no one could say they didn't hear her scream or question her. Potiphar's wife hung a hook in the servant's head by stating the Hebrew was brought to make sport of us and take advantage of us. Hanging a hook is a word picture I use. I believe when someone is falsely accused, the first thing the perpetrator depends on is that first responder to have reasonable doubt. So they put something in that first responder's mind. And this first responder can be anyone. I'm not always talking about law enforcement here, but anyone who is on the scene at first. Moving on with the story. She kept his cloak beside her until his master got home. Then she told him the story. The Hebrew slave you brought 
us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him, put him into prison, the place where the king's prisoners were. As a reminder to everyone listening, not everyone is Potiphar's wife and crying wolf. One of the oldest sins in the world is a false accusation of sexual assault, domestic violence, but I felt like I had to address the topic. Joseph was, however, falsely accused by Potiphar's wife of trying to violate her after her attempts at seduction had failed. It can be incomprehensible to be accused of a crime you did not commit and may not have anything to do with like Joseph was in the Bible. But I want to give a personal message to false accusers right now. You make it very difficult for a victim of domestic violence to report abuse. It's hard enough to come to terms with the reality of the abuse, but the fear of not being believed often keeps victims in domestic violence situations. The blood of someone could be on your hands. In reality, it could end in death for someone else. Your decision almost always doesn't just affect you or the one you are trying to falsely accuse. Moving on, let's look at signs and challenges of a true abusive relationship. The most telling sign is fear of the other person. It's common for people being abused to blame themselves or to get caught up in trying to understand or help the abuser rather than helping themselves or leaving the relationship. Being isolated from people outside the abusive relationship can contribute to these feelings. I was constantly told no one would believe me. My abuser knew exactly what he was doing and exactly what he was saying. It was like I was the focal point of his study for evil. I am a problem solver by nature. So I was always trying to be one step ahead of the manipulator. It's impossible and downright exhausting. I podcast to educate on the subject of domestic violence. I am one of many people who bring awareness to the subject. And even though I have been a domestic violence survivor for a lot of years, I still learn something new every time I study for our listening audience. I appreciate your continued support, your love, and your stories. Before I go, let's circle back for a second to the story of Potiphar's wife and Joseph. Joseph had no power or means to defend his innocence. I understand that completely. But what I also know, this is not a story God wants to be used against an abuse victim. Bye-bye for now.